0: Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Haley. And this week's episode, Deep Thoughts and Deep
1: Water is, is to, to die dive for Hi, Sydney. Hello, Haley. How you doing?
0: How you going? As they say, um, how you going? How you going? Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm going good. <laughs> Everything is good. Um, my life is a little bit insane at the moment, but that's okay. I painted a pretty picture of some kelp and Garibaldi. And it was inspired by uh, a Instagram story or reel that one of our previous guests, yes. Christina, posted the other day. And I said, Now I'm obsessed with that and I need to paint a picture of it. And it's not that good because I'm not an artist, but it's very exciting. So that's It reminds that's me that's of my the life.
1: seagrass bikini that I made and that you have worn before. It's like the same color oh, yeah. pattern. Yeah, I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um how are you? How's it going over there?
1: It's pretty good. Going? I am I am going just on the PhD grind. Um nailing down fieldwork, dates and details and we have a cyclone coming later this week. So Yeah, that that's mm. fun. Second one, hopefully nothing too crazy, but yeah, just everything's up in the air for the rest of the week. So we don't know what's going to happen.
0: My favorite thing is that all over the world, uh field season aligns with hurricane yep. season or cyclone season if you're in the southern hemisphere. Um so yeah, that's my favorite. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it.
1: Yeah, it's really you good. Weather windows, mm-hmm. man. Um yeah. yeah, Alec got a job as a research diver. Um with the Great Barrier Marine Park supposed to be going out and removing crown of thorns from the reefs supposed to start today it got delayed because of the mm-hmm. cyclone so definitely already impacting field season um and messing up everyone's yep. plans but that's just what marine science marine bio is you you never know what's going to happen is, yeah. you have to be flexible and you can't let it uh get to you cuz it's just going to keep happening
0: yeah, yeah. That that has been a conversation that I've been having recently. Uh, you know, the the difference between a 9 to 5 job that's predictable and has uh, you know, weekends off and no external hours outside of 9 to 5 versus like marine science. It really doesn't matter what job you get in marine science. Even even the highest jobs and the lowest jobs, like you're still working maybe not more hours in every job but definitely weirder oh, yeah. hours than just like a nine to five you know maybe you work 12 hours a day and then you only work six tomorrow i don't know like different jobs have different rules around that kind of thing but for sure any kind of field research based job you are working you know at 6 a.m you're getting at the boat yeah. or you know you get off at two but tomorrow you have to be back at Midnight to do a test of the water or whatever. You know, yeah. you, you got to go make sure the corals are alive at two in the morning when they're spawning. And I don't yeah, know, craziness. Crazy. Just so
1: everyone knows, this is what we go through with scheduling podcast interviews. It's like constant back and forth. Like, okay, yeah. Um, actually can't do Wednesday because field work from Monday just got moved to Wednesday. So maybe at nine p.m. my time mm-hmm. and. 6 a.m. your time (laughs) I'm just constant
0: yeah well and not only is that how your life and my life both both work but also like our really amazing guests most of them also work in this field uh so they also are having oh my class just rebooked from Tuesday because there was you know west or east winds or whatever (laughs) no wait hold on yeah east winds and now, you know, everything got blown out. So now my class got rebooked and we have to teach on a different day. So I can't do that day anymore. You know, everything. Yep. So, you know, say la vie. Yeah. But it is, it is rather interesting. I guess, I guess there's a, a hidden skill you need to have as a marine scientist is flexibility and the ability to like schedule things. Yeah. You have to be a master scheduler and unscheduler and rescheduler. I think that's
1: what's bothering me right now is I'm planning field work two to three months in advance with coral spawning, which is, like, predictable but also totally unpredictable. And so I'm trying to predict everything while also knowing it could all completely change and trying to factor that into my predictable schedule. So I'm going insane.
0: Yeah, yeah, as I'm sure... You know, that is kind of how it was this summer for me. I missed two spawnings, uh, which was great. I loved that. I mean, monitored for like 14 days, several days on either side of the predicted peak spawning, and nothing. Midnight, 2 in the morning, 5 at night, you know, 10 in the morning, nothing. Zero things happened, so... Yeah, that was in two different countries. <laughs> I, like, totally, totally missed it twice. Two different total times, so... For all you, uh... You know, we're 0 for 2 right yeah, now. Yeah,
1: for all you crazy kids out there looking to get into marine sciences, just, just remember, <laughs> it's all unpredictable. It's not for
0: the faint of heart. You gotta be okay with yeah, right. change.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Oh, goodness Yum. gracious.
1: Well, I have some yeah. ocean news for you. Tell me. Okay. It is about our favorite topic, coral reefs, of course. Oh. I do love it. Yeah. Those. So, um scientists have found the world's largest deep-sea coral reef off the eastern coast of the United States. And it is a massive 6.4 acre area that stretches from Miami, Florida, up to Charleston, South Carolina. And this area is larger than the state of Vermont, for a little size perspective, size comparison. And it is called the Blake Plateau. So earlier studies of this area found that the region may be a dead zone, um, an area where the ocean has less oxygen dissolved in the water, which would generally kill most of the marine life. But then they did a multi-year mapping project um, of this perceived dead zone, and actually found a very alive ecosystem full of reef-building corals. So this area is a nearly continuous coral mound, and it spans 310 miles long and almost 68 miles wide, which is just crazy. Hmm. Like, try to picture that much coral in the deep ocean.
0: Yeah. Insane. Um, That is crazy. Did they say what species it is?
1: Desmophyllum pertussum. Mm. Yeah.
0: So, it used to be called Lophelia. That's what
1: I was thinking, because I was like, I've never heard this coral name before. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, I actually, I saw the same article uh, earlier this week. Lawrence sent me this mm-hmm. article. Everyone's been sending me this article. Um, but yeah, this is a deep sea reef. Yeah. I've, I'm curious. It's a Lophelia yeah. reef, which we've known... In Florida, there are Lophelia reefs, you know, previously Lophelia, obviously not anymore, but um, previously known as Lophelia reefs, we've known have existed in this area for a long time, but I'm wondering if this is the same deep sea reef that we've known about, or if this is like maybe one on a different contour further out or deeper down or something like that. Um, Like, I wonder how recently this was discovered, because I know for sure it's been talked about a lot more lately, but I didn't know... If this is one that we already have known about for a little while or we just like didn't know it extended so far north and found a new region of connectivity or something like that. So interesting. So this
1: article goes on to say that uh, this species of deep sea coral is usually found between 650 to 3,300 feet below the surface. And this is where the temperature averages a a nice chilly 39 degrees Fahrenheit. So Mm. these are cold water corals. They grow in deeper parts of the ocean where there's no sunlight. And they have to rely on filter feeding of plankton and other organic material for their energy.
0: And for anyone who isn't looking at the pictures that we are looking at, they are all white. The corals are all white because the thing that gives coral its color is zooxanthellae which are a symbiotic algae which live inside of the tissue of the corals and so these ones that are not photosynthesizing they don't need algae so they are all white they look like what we would describe a shallow coral as being Mm -hmm. bleached but that's just the state that these live in constantly and it it doesn't indicate stress in these individuals yep
1: exactly so instead of Photosynthesis from their algae, they are filter feeding. And even though they don't have algae, they're still important ecosystem engineers. So they're still creating shelter for different organisms that live down there, uh, providing food and a nursery for other fish and marine organisms. Um, And then the paper ended by saying that about 75% of the global ocean is still unmapped in detail. So that's why we're still finding all of these crazy ecosystems uh, that haven't been fully
0: researched. And that's why Sea Squatch could still be living in the ocean. For sure. Yep. 10 out of 10. But you know, if anyone is going to find an undiscovered creature living in the depths of the ocean, it's probably going to be our special guest today, the world's... what what, at least was once the world's deepest woman or deepest person I think at several points in her life uh so with that we'll let our crazy super cool special guest introduce herself
2: my name is Tanya Streeter um that makes me she her I'm also old enough to be still just borderline confused with pronouns but I'm doing my best okay um (laughs) And I'm in Austin, Texas, which is bizarre being landlocked, but I've been here for almost 24 years, born and raised in Grand Cayman, um, educated in England and find myself here after five years of married life uh, back in the late 90s in Cayman and then yeah, bizarrely in Austin. Texas which makes no sense whatsoever but there we are
1: oh my gosh I didn't realize you guys have so many connections you were just in Grand Cayman now Austin that's crazy
2: I know and it's funny because when I went to call Haley, I was like this can't be her number it's a 512 I'm like no that's right that's right Austin's also her town so (laughs) yeah
0: I did the same thing that's so funny I saw your number pop up on my phone and I was like wait, who's calling me from Austin? And then I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait.
2: (laughs) My new best friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Tanya and I met this year at a really cool event that I got to be a part of at uh, the Central Caribbean Marine Institute that I've been working with that you you guys all know about now. Um, But yeah. In the restroom. In the restroom. Yeah,
2: that we did. (laughs) Don't, Don't make it. Don't make it sound any fancier than it really was. It wasn't a really fair, lovely event fair. in the bathroom. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and Will, I actually was also at the the freediving workshop, which was really fun too. Sorry. I got to got to see, you know, got to see your you work your magic, which we'll talk a lot more about hopefully in the rest of the episode. But um, my favorite. Yeah. Thing so to do. and then I. Mm-hmm. i found out that you lived in austin i was like well now we have to be best friends so exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and i as i said before because i was late for the last time or completely flunked on the first time we tried to do this i owe you a drink when you come to austin so there but probably come. all the I places you that you from- know about are all closed by now but such is the turnover Surely. of the restaurant business there mhm. Oh,
1: Okay, so Tanya, what drew you to the water in the first place?
2: You know, um, I love that question, and I wish I could romanticize it more than it really is. I grew up in the Cayman Islands in the 70s, and there was nothing else to do. So that's like the boring answer. Um, The real, like... Draw kind of came later when I would choose it, you know as a, a like as a conscious choice of what I wanted mm-hmm. to do and where I wanted to go as um probably like a tween, I guess um you know just just choosing instead of playing in my room or 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 whatever, just hanging out with my brother just to just go, no, I want to go snorkeling that's that's always what I want to do and I was very fortunate at the time when I was that age we lived in a an apartment um on the south side of grand cayman which actually was mm. on the water the only time in my life that i've ever you know had that wonderful privilege of living on the water and um yeah i mean i just remember the the sea being the place where i just felt very very comfortable um safe in a, in like an emotional sense um I come from a, a I was going to say broken family. I don't really like that phrase, but a divorce family. And I think that, you know, it just became um, my place to be where I felt comfortable and safe and yeah, not not just physically, but just really emotionally safe too. So mm-hmm. that was the big draw. And then when it came to my career, I always say it's kind of a no brainer that that if I was going to choose my choose to test myself in some... Sort of athletic way because I'm, I'm a just like athlete through and through. That that I would choose that environment, that environment where as a child I felt so safe and protected. It sort of was my like from my playground to my proving ground, if you like. Mm, That's awesome. I
0: like that. From the playground to the proving ground.
2: That's Mm -hmm. that's a. a And now back to the playground. (laughs) Definitely back to the playground now. Of course. but yeah, the older I get and the more I understand myself and understand like our physical responses to beauty and places that we that we love, even though other people might not find them beautiful. Obviously, I'm very fortunate. My beautiful place is underwater in the Cayman Islands, right? But, yeah. you know, somebody else's beautiful places, wherever their comfort, you know, their emotional comfort was mm-hmm. as a kid. So, so now when I go home... Um, you know it's it's something I just have to do I I don't even care what the weather's like I don't care if anybody comes with me I don't care what the time of day is I'm gonna go and I'm just gonna lay in the sand a few feet underwater and just melt a little and feel Mm -hmm. myself so weird I was about to say feel myself breathe but that is what it's like (laughs) for me to just ah you know but in an absolutely not breathing way, but yes, um, that's kind of what it means, <laughs> means to me when I would go to boarding school. Cause I did go, I was sent to boarding school when I was nine. And, um, the last thing that I would do, you know, to my mother's like horror every time before we were getting on the plane. it's like an hour before flight time my my mom was like get out we have to go you know because i just wanted that the last thing that i uh, to be the last thing that i did before i went over to cold and rainy england so that it was just really imprinted on my brain um Mm. and actually not that long ago a couple years ago i um there's a photographer in grand cayman who i've known for a million years and she just has the same view and love of the ocean that i did And um, she had a series of pictures underwater. And I was like, um, Julie, Julie Corsetti. I was like, Julie, can you turn the camera the other way? Because when I was a child, I used to lay in a very specific angle to the ripples in the sand. And that's what I want to look at when I look at this picture. And so bless her heart, she just... And that's the big picture above my bed that I still see every Mm -hmm. day and just breathe a little. You know, super important to me.
0: That's amazing. That's
1: amazing. Yeah, I love that you can still picture that same image after all these years and
2: yeah uh, it just made a really yeah. big impact it did it really did and I think the older I get and the more I understand it and the more I talk about it like um the more the greater the value and the greater my understanding and the just the greater the gratitude that I have for it too
0: yeah I I love how you are talking about like this not just what you do which is be in the water be free diving whatever but like the emotional connection to it and and like this mindful aspect to it um can we get into a little bit of your like free diving career and how that like follow that thread through those stories
2: yeah I mean I'll be honest with you I think that 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 understanding of it and accepting that side of it has come later in life like after retiring um, Oh, really Yeah. And so this is, this is where talking to me can get really weird because I find (laughs) interviews and podcasts to be like therapy for me. So, um, and I love, you know, I love sitting here talking to women about something that we all love and enjoy, but it, it just, just forgive me if I get emotional because that's just me. That's, that's how I am. That's who I am. And that's how impactful and meaningful it is for me. So so, yeah, yeah, so I'm a kid kid growing up in the Cayman Islands. I think I was always probably the one who was like, hey, Tanya, I dropped my sunglasses. Can you get them? Because, you know, you're the one who can go down that far and go dive that deep. But it didn't really mean much um, when when I was 24 and living back in Cayman um and free diving with some friends but I didn't know it was that never heard the word before um I was mm-hmm. spearfishing with them although um I actually didn't spearfish at the time I would just help them retrieve guns spot fish for me it was like any excuse to be in the water so that that was it and to be out deep and to be just out there doing something that's and it was those two friends Bill and Neil who one day they're like hey we're not going spearfishing we're gonna go do this free diving clinic and i went, oh what's that you know and they were like well that's what we're doing we're free diving and free diving is holding your breath and, di- and i was like oh i thought we were just snorkeling <laughs> at like yeah. 80 feet yeah. um yeah. And, uh, because that you know that what that was again i grew up doing it it's like kids who grew up in the mountains and can can ski when they're two this was just my thing um and so i went along to the clinic that in and of itself is another whole different story um And I was like, "Hmm, I quite like that, but forgot about it. Like, it was just like, Oh, okay. That was interesting. I think, you know, I can improve my form a little bit. I was the only woman there. It was a whole bunch of guys that just wanted to know how to, you know, dive deeper to shoot bigger fish and, um, you know I don't I, that sounds like I disagree with it I don't I think it's a very sustainable way to fish um, mm-hmm. but yes being being the only woman there that again retrospectively I can uh, there's there's a pattern there you know just sort of suddenly mm. being the only woman doing this thing um, and so I came away from it and I was like oh that was fun that was interesting and never thought about it again and and then started getting encouraged to, to train and to try it out. And I was like, mm, no, thanks. You know, they were like, well, you know, the American record, um, because I'm a dual citizen, um, is, uh, you know, t- why don't you try to break the American record? And I was like, well, how deep is that? And I, well, you'd have to do 175 feet. And I about choked. I was like, are you kidding? I, I just bust my tiny to get to hundred feet, 30 meters. And I was like, I don't think I can practically double that. So no, but then, You know, there were a few people on the island who were kind of getting into it and a few little like, come on, Tony, just, you know, just try it, just try it. And it's not a story that it's not a side of my story that I was given the opportunity to discuss much because from the outside looking in, I just boom, started Mm -hmm. setting world records um, or national record and then world records you know, people, people are so amazed by just that the achievement that that tends to be the focus and not really the backstory. So um, I've become more familiar with my own backstory and telling it and that it's basically that, you know, I was newly married, two years married, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. um, Probably having, you know, a little early 20s crisis of understanding myself and growth and everything else. And I looked at this thing that I knew was probably going to impo- be impossible for me and decided why not. Like it was a very, very personal thing that I I really did not discuss until long after I'd retired. Um, this sort of idea of this isn't definitely not about a record definitely not about beating somebody else and more about just seeing what i was capable of now i don't fully understand you know really why i was so drawn to it i i mean but 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 that is you know that's really what it was it was this sort of i just want to push myself i don't you mm-hmm. know this is for nobody else but me um and and then I, I did that first I I started training in I don't know maybe mid-October of ninety-seven and I set that record in January of ninety-eight. So it, it was a relatively short period of time. Well, it seems like a very short period of time, but keep in mind I have this like lifetime of adaptation of being in the water. Yeah. So yeah. you know, that that cannot be discounted. Um But so you're telling me you added 75 feet to your,
0: your personal record in like three or four months.
2: Oh yeah. 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 Believe me, nobody was more surprised than me. And I actually, nobody, that's amazing that I could do it more than me. Um, Yeah. So, so, and that was just training. And that was the thing. That was the thing that as, as a young woman that um, I needed to learn. And I didn't really realize that I was learning again until retrospectively um, that you work hard and then you succeed. Like I had no idea. <laughs> Should have learned that when I was in school, but was a little slow to that lesson or just not focused on it or something. But um I, you know, I had an office job at the time and uh so the only training I could really do during the week was going to the gym, which I cannot express to you how much I hate. Um, um but if I and also being in the pool sometimes, which I also don't really dig that much. Um, and so I kind of felt like if I do this really hard work that I also really hate, I deserve to succeed because I'm putting in the time, like I'm not phoning it in. I'm I'm doing it for real. I'm working, working, working. Um, and lo and behold, every Saturday, I'd go sit at the back of the boat with this goal of 10 feet deeper. And I just had this confidence that I deserved it because I'd worked so hard um and i knew the sea had me and that to me that's like the biggest most significant part of my story is my absolute belief that nothing's ever going to happen to me in the sea plenty of things have happened to me by the way but but nothing like you know really really terrible i never felt never ever ever felt scared uh, for my own safety um in the sea. Um, and, and obviously a massive part of that is my safety team, but also just, just the mm-hmm. ocean, like that part of it didn't scare me. So um, I think yeah. that's, that's where sort of the opportunity was because of my relationship with the ocean. Um, and this, this desire in, at that age stage of my life to, to learn something about myself. And then that's the part of it that became a bit addictive. Like, Oh, I like how self-empowered I now feel i like knowing this about myself i wonder if i can go further (laughs) um so but it took a lot of talking to get into because when i after i did that american record i was like okay that was cool i know that about myself and i'm good and then it was discussions of world records and actually the first world record i set was on the sled um in no limits and that went against everything i like wanted to do in the water and freediving, like that's the absolute opposite of freediving. You're not free at all. You're suddenly bound to equipment and stuff. But by then, I had learned the value of waking up and going. This is impossible, but watch me try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and each day, uh, e- you know, each week that I would be able to go out on a Saturday and and train in that form, it was the same. I was kind of blowing on my own mind about what I was capable of and you know full disclosure it's what the human body is capable of it's not just me but it's that you got to have all of the right components because if your brain isn't in it or your heart isn't in it it doesn't matter how capable your human physiology is you do have to have all the pieces so I was sort of I was like equal parts fascinated by my journey and equal parts obsessed with the growth that I was going through as a young woman and yeah. then it got out of hand. I set all these world records and that, then it, it became a career and nobody ever asked these cool questions about why you do it. It was just like, yeah. the down there, you know? Um, so yeah, that, that's that's how, that's how my journey started. And then, as I said, you know, it, it became this thing that I just really enjoyed doing. Um, so and then we left cayman in 2000 to move to austin and i i quit freediving by then i so wait i did so that first world record on the sled 113 meters 370 feet that was in may of 98 and then at the end of 98 wait, did you just say 300
0: and something feet
2: yeah 370 Mm -hmm. is um is that's 370 feet which is 113 meters yeah so so that's on the sled and and for you and for listeners anybody who understandably wouldn't know what the hell i'm talking about right now um that is the discipline in no uh in freediving where you're assisted with weight on the way down for the descent mm-hmm. and there's effectively no limit to the amount of weight that you can use and then you're assisted with a lift bag which you have to mechanically operate at depth to bring you back up again so there's like quote no limit to the amount of lift that you can use and assistance you can have so it becomes um less about the size of your lungs and more the size of your balls at that point quite honestly because it's that that is like it 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 especially back then it suddenly became so very much deeper than what I had done so you know I had just done mm-hmm. 175 feet and I was going to add close to 200 feet so there's just this mental like what I'm going to yeah. go where um but I was kind of caught up in the fascination of it um, and so then back then, free diving also differentiated between freshwater and salt water. And so at the end of 98, I set a salt water. It was either free immersion or constant weight. It's so long ago, I can't remember now. But um, I want to say maybe it was free immersion. And I can't also remember the depth, but 62 something, can't remember. But it was <laughs> the first time that I, <laughs> it's a long time ago, and I've clearly held my breath for too long. <laughs> um, my okay. sh- short-term memory and long-term memory are shot. Um, I, that was the first time that I was also setting an absolute record by beating the men, um, as well as the women. But again, it was, this is all sort of new. We didn't really talk about it that much. And it was all a bit low key. And then the following year at the end of 99, I had broken away from my, the the trainer that I had worked with um which added another level of challenge for me and it was a little bit of a um well I'll say it's a little bit of an fu like I'm gonna do this by myself I'm gonna show you because I think his the last thing he said to me was like you're nothing without me and I was like oh (laughs) watch so um so yeah a year later I was like I'm just gonna do this one last record before we move to Austin uh, you know get it out of my system and um And so I did, and it was another absolute record. It was back at the same location in a a sinkhole in Florida, which was just the opposite of my beautiful Caribbean Um, and terrifying uh, black, cold, Dark, deep, yeah. all the things that it, just, just, just very different to what I was used to, and the added challenge of being like, okay, and I'm going to be self trained, and so it was almost like every record I set. Yes, I was always going deeper, but I, I kind of gravitated towards this extra challenge as well, like mm-hmm. which nobody would necessarily even know about, certainly not watching. Um, and then we moved to Austin, and by then, and so we were we, we'd come here, my husband and I'd come here to take up something completely different work wise. And, um, I had said, you know, I'll give up free diving and this is, this is what we'll do. But I had committed to go and be a judge at the world championships in 2000 in Nice. And so, you know, I had to go and do that. We moved here in May. So in October, I think it was September, October, I, I went to France and I was a judge and I was like, Oh, I'm not done with this sport. I love this. I you know, now that this it's growing and I'm seeing all these other people, cause I had been, you know, little, little Tanya on the other side of the world, not where all the French and Italians and Greeks and Spanish got, you know, where the real, the real heart of the sport is in, in mm-hmm. the med. And so then when I went and I realized, Oh yeah, I'm not done. I, I, I need to do more. And also a little bit of a, you know, kind of a personal crisis moving here, not being on my Island and, you know Mm -hmm. giving up freediving and stuff and so and then the jobs that we moved here for actually the company dot bombed uh within weeks of us being here so I actually really hit a very much a low and I remember coming back and saying to my husband like okay um I I, I, I'm gonna need to do this do this so and I think I'm gonna need to go away and be by myself and and so, and get my head straight. I kind of, you know, which kind of comes back to it. Like, I am not freediving; does not define me, but the ocean does. And I just needed to go back mm-hmm. and be in the ocean, and feel like, and get control again. Because basically, I think in my life, I felt like I was losing control. My job wasn't there. We just left my home, my cat, um, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. I was really kind of struggling. I need to be back underwater. And so, I went for a couple of months. This time to Guadeloupe, I set a couple more world records, and I came back, and I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm good. Let's go. Let's get on with life now. Um, I'll go get a real job. And my husband was like, you know what? I think I should quit my job and manage you. Uh, you're pretty good at this. So let's see what we can do here. And it it was a really, really beautiful, incredibly hard decision to make and journey to go on. And of course the next day we went out and got part-time jobs because you cannot support yourself. You certainly couldn't support yeah. yourself 20 years ago. Um, and, and so he was amazing at working with media and sponsors and setting up the, just the world's greatest safety team. Sorry, I'm just going to claim ownership on that with my guys. Do it. Guys that, Do it. Uh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> I am. Um, and so then, you know, 2000, 2000, what? Okay. So yeah, 2001. So then it was 2002 when we traveled to Turks and Caicos and had, you know, great sponsorship uh, to go and set the No Limits world record again, which, cause it had been beaten um, from my first time around. And so to set it and to, you know, set set the men's world record again and to effectively become the deepest person in the world and all the rest of it. Um, And that wasn't really my vision I was just like, I, I don't care. I just want to, I, I just want this to be what I have an excuse to do. So I was like, babe, fi- find a way to make it pay, please. And he was like, okay, you, you look pretty, hold your breath. I got the rest of it, <laughs> which is such a <laughs> terrible awesome. thing to say, but you know, we've also been married 30 years. So, so it's, you know, we, it, it was so normal and he was uh, just so good at his job that I had to be good at my job. And Um, So we did that no limits world record and then we went back to Turks and Caicos the following year in 2003 and did the variable weight, which back then again also another absolute record 122 meters 400 feet variable weight is where you are, you use the weight to go down but you have to power yourself back up again, and in comparison to where today's records are where people are swimming down to 400 feet and back again in the constant weight discipline blows my mind um but so it doesn't seem that deep now but, but but again back then um you know it it was remarkably what was possible and actually mm-hmm. sidebar for anybody who's sitting here going oh the big blue that's what this is about so in the big blue le grand bleu um the the target depth is this 122 meters and if you go deeper than this you know everybody dies it's not possible yeah. and all the rest of it so um it, it it was really, I mean, unbelievable, remarkable that today athletes are getting to those depths, you know, unassisted in the constant weight discipline or in, um, free immersion, which is just Mm -hmm. blows my mind. Um, but yeah, so for me, that was, that was it. I, I will say that, you know, one way or another with each world record, you know, earlier on, it's easier to see. I was kind of, you know, try to go away and solve a problem underwater, a life problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, you know, that worked really well. But it was definitely a bit of a game changer when, you know, you're heavily sponsored and there's expectations on you. And, you know, you're like diving for dollars now. You're not uh, diving for your life lessons. And so that was the literal extra challenge that then was provided for me because I didn't really want to do it. It wasn't, I loved all the training. We would always hit the target record depth probably about 10 days, two weeks before actual record time, just to know we Mm -hmm. had it in the bag for when the judges and the media were then there. But once I had done that, when it was only me and the team, I cannot tell you how hard it was for me to motivated, stay motivated, keep my head in the game. Um, I couldn't eat right. I couldn't sleep right. Like the nerves for now, the media, and the needing to do it when it counts part uh was huge. But again, it was sort of then that extra challenge that I, like a fool, thrive for. So um yeah. yeah. It's all very complicated. It's not as simple as it seems on the on the outside of, you know, you just work really hard and set the records. There's so much more to yeah. it. And I, I actually really appreciate the opportunity. Because it's taken me 20, 20 years to reconcile it all. And that yeah. You know, unfortunately there have been people that have lost their lives in the pursuit of the same records that I set so that's an extra thing for me to have to Mm -hmm. to reconcile and deal with and that's still an open wound that's very much still not healed or reconciled at all but um yeah but yeah it's all it's all still part of the journey that is a beautiful story thank you for sharing
0: that's that's really incredible and I love getting to hear Like the, you know, behind the scenes part of it, not just the, you know, Tanya worked really hard and set a bunch of records, but you know, how you got there, what that looked like for you, what that felt like. Um, And I think Sydney and I can both agree, as well as I'm sure most of our listeners, that uh, we too find peace in the ocean we too find Mm -hmm. I I also go to the ocean to solve my life problems right like that's I go spend time underwater and listen you know not free diving usually scuba diving but uh I go I go listen to myself blow bubbles and and think about I I I tell people that spending time underwater is like my shower thoughts like I figure everything out when I'm underwater everything makes sense I figure out how I need to handle things, how I need to, I mean, interpersonal things, relational things, work things. Like I figure it all out underwater. And then I come back to the surface and the noise sets in and it's so much more difficult to, to like focus on things when there's so much, all that topside
2: noise. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's like my meditation and I don't meditate, but I have to accept that actually, that's what it was. I mean, even the actual dives are like an extreme form of meditation, mm-hmm. albeit for, you know, two, three, four minutes. It's it's still, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very much either letting everything go or an intense focus on one thing. Pretty lucky, aren't we? That that's our thing that we get to go. That's our place oh, yeah. where we get to go to go put the world to rights. You know, that's how I feel about it. I guess being yeah, here in yeah. Austin and landlocked makes me appreciate it more, too, um, probably.
1: So you just told us everything about your freediving career. What's next? Where are you headed? What are you looking forward to in the next stages of your career?
2: Well, it's been really You know, it's been really great. I I effectively retired like a long time ago, 2006, I think, is the sort of the official retirement date. And around about 2004, I started um, transitioning into working in film and underwater film and wonderful. Another way to take that, like my, my bizarre masochistic need to, to challenge myself, but still remain underwater um mm-hmm. so that was really great uh, for a few years i i worked with the bbc on a lovely series and that was you know just just so great and so hard so hard being on camera is so hard um, but i loved it and got to see amazing places and and you know just free dive all over the world with incredible animals and yes yes that was a dream um, and then i had my daughter um tilly in 2008 and I carried on working quite a lot um, in various things, you know, But because by then, if it's not film projects, it's like appearances or speaking engagements and things like that. So I can kind of keep it busy in that regard. Um, and so I had her in 2008 and carried on working. 2011, I started working on the film A Plastic Ocean, which mm-hmm. took a really long time. We finally wrapped really effectively post-production everything like 2000 maybe 16 because I had my son in 2015 and he's in the film as well and I I I want to say it came out th- maybe 2017 was I can't remember it's a bit lost but but that was a big project and that's when I really realized you know this is the reason the reason Tanya was not just for your own like self-care and your own personal journeys of discovering yourself there's a greater purpose because i would definitely sit at the front of the boat on the way out to a dive site and think to myself why am i putting my family through this this is rough on everybody you know it's worrying about Mm -hmm. somebody and and not fully understanding and you know it's a lot um and you know all throughout my career i've had a free diving career i had opportunities and took them to Represent the ocean in some way, shape, or form, or NGOs that were working for various, you know, ocean-related things, and I loved all of that. But when um, what is now Ocean Generation uh, Foundation came along and asked me to to be uh, an ambassador for them and to take part in the film, I was like, okay, it's it's like the culmination now of this these skill sets that I have amassed, and now I can talk about how we protect that environment that served me and supported me, and you know, just kept me safe and loved on me throughout my whole career so Mm -hmm. that was really my passion the environmental side Um, and so since then you know I still get involved with speaking engagements and um, smaller film projects and things like that I have to admit I like being home I am 1000% a mum before anything else and so it's very hard for me to leave Um, and I kind of joke, it has to either be something that's gratuitously overpaid or really, really important to me, like special to me that, and then I'll leave my family and go do it. Um, because otherwise I'm, I'm in the trenches. I have an eight-year-old and a 15-year-old and I, I really, really want to be there for them so that they don't have to dive to the bottom of the ocean to figure themselves out, (laughs) you know? Oh, that's, that's, uh, yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So I, uh, I mean, where I'm, where I'm going and where I'm heading is like, sort of in that direction with opportunities as and when they come up, I'll take them. Um, otherwise, I love nothing more than bumping into people on the beach and saying, you want to go snorkeling? Let's go do this. And then, yeah. you know, sort of gradually... Yeah, giving them a few tips here and there, and then maybe when we leave the water, they'll be like, "Wait, what's your name again?" And yeah, you can look me up, and then they'll figure it out. But I just love sharing <laughs> what I know about challenging yourself underwater, and yeah. you know, Haley, you were you were there watching me work with the kids uh, in in Cayman or the young people, I should say, in Cayman back in November um uh for ccmi and i you know that is my jam that i would do for nothing all day long if nothing paid the bills because i absolutely love it nobody goes deep you know sometimes we we're not even going more than 10 feet but we're all Mm -hmm. facing these really personal challenges in a beautiful environment and that just seems like the greatest gift yeah yeah, I think
1: it's amazing. I think we can all agree too. Like the ocean gives us so much, and it's amazing mm-hmm. that you're giving back to the ocean through environmentalism, but you're also giving back to other people and sharing your love for the ocean with them, so that they can go yeah. free dive, snorkel,
2: enjoy it. So I think that's really and amazing. create their own kind of awareness for the environment because yeah. it's like we uh, in in the a plastic ocean i think is sylvia earl says if you don't know you can't care and it's so Mm -hmm. true if you don't know what the issue is you can't possibly care so i can tell you what the issue is and that's fine but Mm -hmm. if you see it for yourself you see the environment that we're trying to protect and you start to learn the importance of that environment in terms of global health um, and planetary health you know that's when i think people can care so so it's yeah, it's a it's just a love that I have, and I think it's probably the single most important takeaway from my career because it sure as hell is not the world records. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's amazing. I I love that. I love that you are using your skills and like what I guess maybe the ocean has gifted to you to then gift the mm-hmm. ocean in return, which is just really amazing and obviously admirable um I'm sure you've heard that a million times but uh I really I I was very touched in the workshop that I got to be like a part of or or witness to I got to go basically you know be there and make sure everything was safe and okay and I got to kind of hang out with you guys and watch watch the workshop happen um but it it was amazing it was so incredible to watch you not just like dive of course like that really cool really beautiful but also you got to work with each of these kids or young people mm-hmm. and and kind of give them advice and I mean I watched divers learn something in four seconds you know like I watched them improve it like from one dive to the next in just a few minutes Um, I'd I'd watch a diver go down and they were having trouble staying vertical in the water column, they're swimming diagonally, so they're not getting as deep as they would like to. And you'd go and and dive down with them and help to show them how to do it. And it was just a really beautiful, amazing experience to get to watch. And I will say, I think that was probably the most fun I've ever had free diving is just like being surrounded by other people who were excited about it too. And being surrounded by people who also shared that same love uh, for the environment and for what we were out there doing. It, I think the community seems to be something that would be really important to me in in free diving. Um, yeah, not really. Well, thanks for yet, sharing that maybe one day.
2: <laughs> no, that means a lot because you know I go out there and I think you know I've got the gamut. I've got somebody who can get down to sixty feet here, and I've got somebody who's going to struggle to leave the surface. Um, but I want them both to come away with the same thing, which is I just did something I didn't think I could do. Like yeah, you know, there's the there's the saying of do something that scares you every day. Um, I think the whole point is, you know, do something that pushes yourself a little so that you can learn that part about yourself. Um, I have so much to say on this topic alone because it's so it is so like the ethos of what my diving was, and actually I would sit on the front of the boat thinking about like why do I do this, and I had a mantra with the ocean, Haley. You might have heard me say it before. Um, because I give a speech that Haley got to listen to, or maybe you ran and we're back in the restroom for that part. I don't know, but, but (laughs) I think I talked about how, um, you know, it wasn't like making a deal with the ocean. Like I didn't give some peace offering and throw some coins in or, you know, bust out a voodoo doll. I, 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 I truly was kind of saying, you're, you're giving me this incredible gift and I'm going to find a way to pay it back. And so that's where the environmental part comes from. Um, but then also at the front of the boat, while I'm trying to figure out like what is this? You know, we came up with this um catchphrase or motto, if you like, for what my diving encompassed, and it was redefine your limits. And the mm-hmm. the the concept is that we all have limits. We absolutely, and and there is gonna be a limit to how fast we can run a hundred meters and how deep we can dive in the ocean and you know, as human beings, what our human potential is. And, you know, there's those of us that will push human, human potential, and that was fun for a little while, but really our individual potential is what we should be tapping into every day because we have so much more than we're capable of. So the first step is accepting that you have a limit. The second step is step is to accept that you have absolutely no idea where that limit is until you until you try to push it a little. And so we don't want to go through life going, I can't do that. I'm not even going to try. Because that is an opportunity to learn something about yourself that you otherwise won't learn. And I think it's part of our human nature to really know who we are as we move around in the world. Um, I think it, you know, just on all kinds of different levels, uh, uh, for ourselves personally. I, I know with every record that I would set, like i would be I would be on fire with it, fire with the the the, the pushing myself so hard. Um, the doubt, you know, the, and then ultimately the success. And then two days later, that, that thing that was consuming my whole body is just this tiny little glowing ember that I take with me everywhere. And it has, I will also say, come back to bite me in the ass sometimes when I don't want to get out of bed. And my husband's like, redefine your limits, babe. (laughs) "Ah." (laughs) But the point really, really is that when you go on that journey to learn something about yourself, whether it is just getting out of bed and going, you know, on a walk because that's your new uh, New Year's resolution or deciding you're going to set a world record in something or, or whatever, it's your journey to go on. And those are all your lessons to learn that only you truly understand Freediving sort of captures it and epitomizes it so well because you leave the surface and there's lots of people and some of them doubt some of them believe everybody is deeply concerned and then you leave the surface and it's just you and if anybody's ever read an interview about me or listened to a podcast, I talk endlessly about my devil on one shoulder and my angel on the other, and the devil is going to give you all the negative suggestion in the world. You didn't eat right, you didn't sleep well enough, you didn't train hard enough. you know you you didn't stretch before you did this you you uh, like in the instance of my my free dive the no limits world record, you blacked out right before you left, like yeah. all the doubt the devil is yelling, yelling like a total asshole in your ear on one side, and the angel's just quietly sitting there going. Just try, just try, just try. And in free diving, if it's not something physical that is stopping you and the physical things are actually few and far between, there aren't Mm -hmm. a lot of physical Mm -hmm. things, but your mind can get in your way every inch, every single inch of that descent. And that's the devil. And you know, the idea of just try, just keep pushing. You can tell yourself all the stories in the world. And I have dived with some of the best divers in the world and watch them turn before their goal and come back and say things like, I, I knew I wasn't gonna make it. I'm like, bullshit. You know, no, no, you didn't. You're safe. You have all the safety you need. You have every go push yourself, go learn this about yourself. The ocean didn't want me today. I'm like, I bet it did, but okay. You know, like <laughs> so that in 20 years of trying to figure out how it was that I was able to do this thing, I've realized that it was my mental game that really propelled me. I never turned on a dive ever, not Mm -hmm. a training dive, not a competition, like never Uh, for, for, Oh, I didn't sleep well enough or I didn't eat, or I just don't think I can do it today. Or I'm not going to make, I would wait until, you know, I've broken fins on dives. I've had sleds get stuck. I've like done it all. And I go, my safety is here. This is not the way God intends me to die. Um, and I'm going to be fine. And lo and behold, my limit each time redefined, like in like, sometimes literal 10 foot increments. I don't think I can do this, I'm gonna try. Oh, looky, looky, I did it. And that growth, that ember that I get to carry with me is, is huge because I had the courage to just try. And that's what I see on the faces of, you know, some of those young people who are out there thinking, I don't think I want to be here. This just sounded like fun. And here's this woman thinking she's going to get me to touch the bottom right now. And I'm like, I'm not, I just want you to try something that you haven't. I just want you to just believe a little bit of what I'm saying and push yourself. And then what I see on their faces is, that's the thing you take with you for the rest of your life that, wow, I'm made of a little more tough stuff than I thought I was. I I just think that's huge. I think that's what it's all about. And it doesn't have to be exclusive to free diving either. That's the most important part. Yeah you can never quite capture what it really means. That like shift mm-hmm. that happens for you when yep. you don't believe in yourself, but you try anyway and lo and behold, you succeed. I, I always say that as human beings, we have a, a good 30% strength, be it mental or physical um, or physiological that we don't know that we have. And if we would just get out of our own way And listen to the angel, and not all the negative suggestion. We we will we can tap into that thirty percent. That's how I feel. I think it's the same thirty percent that allows people to lift burning cars off babies. Do you know what I mean? I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm like a firm believer because I can't otherwise explain how I can do. You know, I'm five foot six. I'm 120 pounds soaking wet. Like, how could I do the things that I did? That it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever free divers are built like my husband they're six four with barrel chests and strong arms and legs and they're not you know quasi barbie dolls so
0: <laughs> our last serious serious-ish question um we like to ask for people who are you know maybe interested in getting into this field or who um, just kind of want to hear more about you and how how you have overcome things. We like to ask you if there's any challenge that you faced in your career um, and how you've overcome that, and how you might suggest people facing similar challenges could overcome
2: that in their own lives. Um, I would say that the single greatest challenge that I have faced in freediving is is trying to. I guess it's, it's like trying to be understood. It's, it's about authenticity. Um, You know, doing this thing that, that seems so superhuman. That's like, that's certainly what the media likes to focus in on. But now, because I've talked endlessly with my backstory, you know, that there's so much more to it. My frustration and, and, and challenge was being able to, to get across that, that, that it's not just this great thing. It is this journey. And that's the most important part of it. And it's really me mm-hmm. kind of wrestling with media and the stories that are that are told, if you like, about me because of what I did. And um, I don't know. I think it comes down to authenticity. And I realized that actually that's something that I I think I probably struggled with before I started free diving. And I know I still struggle with with um wanting to always remain my most authentic self but that's not the struggle it's more being feeling accepted as my most authentic self um Mm -hmm. because I think people whatever your career is or where you find yourself in life there's it you know it's double-sided there's the way that you see yourself and then there's the way that people see you and Mm -hmm. sometimes we focus too much on the way that people see us and we actually maybe start believing that too, whether it's good or bad, like I'm, I, it, that's mm-hmm. not, you know, um, and that sometimes is also easier, but I yeah. don't think it serves us in the long term. And so I think doing the harder work of remaining your authentic self and shouting your authentic self at the top of your lungs so that you can dispel you know, I don't, I just, that's something that is just hugely important to me. And, and it, you know, when you said what was your greatest challenge, like it was just pop, that was it. In terms of life are the things that you truly go through life with. Everything else comes and goes, you know, careers, records, uh, whatever, but who you are and who you accept yourself to be is so hugely important Um, And it's kind of this ongoing work that you have to do. I think that is incredibly relatable, especially
1: I'm just thinking of like how interconnected we all are in this day and age with like social media and everything. I think it's easy to get lost in not realize what your authentic self is and yeah, hearing those other voices. So I think that is really relatable. And I know you mentioned this was like a therapy session. I'm feeling a therapy session, I love it. (laughs)
2: no you you guys are giving me the therapy i'm not giving you therapy you're i I should be paying you at the end of all of this like me having to (laughs) dive into my head for all of this stuff is uh very therapeutic not super sexy and exciting but it but i think it's very i mean i know it's very very real to me so
1: yeah i i am relating on so many levels
0: all right let's get to some silly questions Sid oh boy Ooh, I get to start it off today yeah okay <laughs>
1: what is your best dive snorkel free diving water related story is there one that comes to the top of your mind
2: wow um you know I've I, I've 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 got lots I mean I remember dropping the weight in when we're free diving and we're out in blue water and You know, two minutes later, we're looking down the line, and here comes the biggest mola mola I've ever seen in my life, and I'm like, "What?" You know, these things. And and dropping the line somewhere else, and there's a, you know, four meter oceanic white tip shark just bumping against the line, and I'm like, "Um, "Are we still doing this?" (laughs) You know, Uh, I love all of that stuff, but I'll I'll be honest with you, my especially now, I mean, my heart is being in the water with my kids. And my 15 year old Tilly, we were back uh, for Thanksgiving um, after I had been down and met Haley. um, I came back a few weeks later for Thanksgiving with the family. And I just, wherever I am in the water with my kids, it's just, it truly just feels like the greatest blessing ever to be able to share that environment with them. My son is obsessed with fish. And, uh, and then my daughter is the most beautiful thing to watch in the water. Like my husband is so sweet. He's always like, she's you, man. She's exactly you. So she basically eclipsed me this year. I mean, she's, she's a lot taller than me. She's four or five inches taller than me. So, so in terms of how she looks in the water, you know, she's just unbelievable. But this, that's, that's what blew my mind this time is, you know, seeing how for a kid that gets to go to Cayman maybe once a year how mm-hmm. good she is and how natural she is I must have passed something through you know some adaptation uh in utero so yeah that's that's probably my my fave now um that's yeah ideal. that's Great. amazing that's, and so nice that, that, that you get to sweet. share that with her <laughs>
1: yeah um last silly question Do you have a favorite snack after you get out of the water?
2: Oh my gosh. I'm usually because, you know, with freediving, you don't want to dive on a full stomach. So I'm usually Mm -hmm. like starving Um, and I will, I will take down a cheeseburger. No problem. (laughs) No problem. If I'm, if I'm home in Cayman, then I'm going to want some conch stew or some oxtail Mm -hmm. and rice and beans or something. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm an eater and especially after diving. Um, oh yeah yeah I, I, I want to just go eat all the things immediately
1: <laughs> yep I'm right there with you I love it
2: <laughs> all good questions I like them <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right well we have gotten to the end of our interview we only have one more question left um, okay. so to round it all out we asked you at the beginning of the episode, what brought you to the water? And now we want to know, after all this time, what keeps you
2: coming back to the water? Oh, gosh. I think I need it. I, it's, it's not even a want. It's not even, you know, just a sort of general desire. I think it's a real physiological and emotional need for me. There's times when I'm in the water and I genuinely cannot tell where I stop and it begins, you know, that sort of really being a part of it. And that's a level of acceptance that I don't find anywhere else. And I've always said that, you know, I'm the best version of myself underwater. And, you know, who doesn't like that feeling? But I think I think there's just a really great sense of belonging and purpose Mm. that I get there that I think I just need a dose of every now and again like preferably more often than I'm getting it (laughs) but you know bizarrely (laughs) sometimes it's also just in my swimming pool like I I like you in the weirdest body of water I can just go and lay there and close my eyes and I can be anywhere so it's a it's a need it's a real deep need that brings me back i love
1: that i love it now awesome. i want to go get in the water
2: I know. I know now
0: i i feel like i need me to go too. <laughs> i'll
2: be so mad uh, if you do because i can't <laughs> um well uh, ladies thank you, thank thank you so, you so much. much yeah
0: thank you this has been great it's been lovely yeah.
2: Well, it really has. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody who listens and take en- takes any of it on board and doesn't think I'm truly like wack-a-doodle-doo thanks to all of my diving. But <laughs> I'm pretty, pretty passionate about what I've been able to learn from it um, and that environment. Uh, so thanks for giving me the opportunity to explore it all over again.
0: Thanks so much for listening to
2: this week's episode.
0: Don't forget to head on over to our website where you can find information on submitting your great stories for our Fish Tales episodes. Those will come out about once a month, and you can find the form to submit your stories online. Our website
1: is under titleteasapparel.com. There's a little header at the top that says to dive for a podcast. And if you hit that link, we also have merch for sale. And you can also find us on Instagram at Todive4Podcast and on Facebook as well. We also now officially have our premium subscriptions available. So for 99 cents a month, um, you will get access to our full-length episodes. So these are about an hour and 30 minute episodes that haven't been cut down to our usual one hour length. You can just go on to Spotify and hit on the episode that has a little lock where the play button should be. And once you click that, it'll direct you to your Spotify account and you can then sign up for a subscription for To Dive For. And these episodes are also going to be ad-free and just have all of our little crazy diving tangents in them. So they're super fun to listen to. And this is a great way to support us and ensure that we can keep making these episodes for you guys. So thank you so much for your support. Don't forget to like and follow
0: and share with your friends. See you guys next week. Bye.
1: Hello! Your fish fact for this week is that sunfish, or mola mola, develop their truncated, bullet like shape because their back fin, which they are born with, never grows. So instead, this back fin folds into itself as the enormous fish grows and it creates a rounded rudder called a clavis. So there you go. That's why Mola Molas look so weird and cute. See ya!